0: Today, we have week two of a four-week series that we are calling, But First, God. But First, God. As we jump into a new year, what you do first really does matter. This is the season where you're making new habits and new resolutions for your life, and and you're you're taking it seriously, probably. You're creating these these new habits for you, And, and I'm with you. I think that's awesome. I say, yes, go for it. Uh, because I know that the goal of this is to, to make you a better person. You want to be healthier. You, you want to be, you you have better relationships. And you want to think clearly. All these things are great. Go for it. Uh, b- but I'm asking that as you create some new habits in your life. And you're, you're forming some new physical habits. Don't forget to form some new spiritual habits as well. So often we focus solely on our body. And I want to encourage you. Uh, in this series to, is to not forget about your soul, your soul. You know, we, we, we go through the time and the attention of creating these new habits for us. Nobody probably enjoys it. We do it because we want to be a better person. We want to have a great year. And as we kick off January here into this new year, I said this last week and I'll say it again. This can be your best year of your life if it is the best year of your life spiritually. And I want to do all that I can to help you ensure that this is the best year of your life spiritually because I want this to be the best year of your life. So I want to bring focus to your soul. I want to bring focus to uh, the spiritual side of you. The Bible calls it the spiritual man inside of you. I want to stir up your faith a little bit and watch what the Lord will do in your life. You know, as a pastor, when we create the the year calendar, we create series uh, that will form Good spiritual habits in your life all throughout the year. And this series is a great way to kick off your year right and to help you create some some good spiritual habits for your life. Before we do anything else this year, before we focus on any area of our life, we say, But first, God, we're gonna focus on you first, God. That is the desire of this series. That's the desire of 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, that before we do anything, before we achieve anything this year, before we go on any trips, before we do anything, God, we are saying, but first, God, you are our focus. So, so the, what we do is we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. That, that's, that's one wing, if you will. And the other wing is a personal devotional life. You see, prayer and fasting in the Bible reading, your devotional life is a, is, is, is a level plane. W- without one of them, it's an uneven plane. It's a two-wing plane. So, so what we want to do is is help you with 20 days of prayer and fasting and actually fast through something and actually take some time to pray, but also to make sure that your, your devotional life is there. And you, you find a, a Bible reading plan that will take you throughout the year and watch what God will do with that two-wing plane. You see, through prayer, we have the honor and privilege to talk to God, but through his word, God talks to us. And we need both of those in our lives. You may ask, well, why is the word of God so important? We talked about this last week, but it's because this passage right here, Matthew 7, 24, says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, there it is, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know, a motivation for this series is not that you would know the Bible, but that you would understand the Bible, and you would do all that you can do to put the Bible in you. The Bible's not that you would know, the, the motivation for the series is not that you would know the Bible, but instead that you would, you would get the book inside of you. You get this Bible inside of you, and you have it on your heart. Because I know this, in 2023, storms will come to you. No matter who you are, no matter what your life is like, 2023 will bring a storm to your doorstep. And those who have the word of God in them, the storms will come, but it will not overtake them. You may say this, Pastor, come on, it's January, be a little bit more positive. Well, I'm here to say this. I am positive that storms will come to you in 2023. But if you have the word of God in you, you will be prepared for when those storms come. So let's jump into the message. Today, my goal is to help you. Here's my burden for this message is to help you understand the Bible. This is what we're going today. I want you to understand the Bible. I know I can't teach everything to you in one message or even in one year. And I know there might be some things in the Bible that you don't understand. But I think if I can help you to understand the concept of the Bible and what the Bible is all about, then it will help you when you read it. And as you understand it more and more, you will eventually put it into practice. You will do what this Bible says to do. The goal of the Bible is to put it into practice. We just read it. To do what it says to do. I think if you understand the concept of the Bible first, then you will want to read it and you will want to live it out. You know, when I married my wife, Allie, I loved her, but I did not understand her, okay? And we've been married, we'll celebrate 14 years in April. And, and, and i got to be honest, I am still growing in my understanding of my wife. Every day, I am growing in my understanding. Ladies, you are difficult for us simple fellas to understand. And, and the men of the church said amen and then got hit for it. And I apologize, I set you up. It reminds me of a story that I heard. This man was living in California. He was walking on the beach of California and he found a genie in a bottle. He rubbed that bottle and a genie popped out and the genie said, I'll give you one wish. What do you want? And this man said, oh, this is awesome. Well, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. I- I'm scared to fly. So if you could, genie, would you build me a road from California to Hawaii so I can drive and I don't have to fly? And the genie says, Oh man, that's, that's a big ass there, man. I, I think about the, the concrete and, and, and the steel, and how, that's, just, that's just too hard to do. You gotta pick another wish. And so the man says, Oh, okay, well, can you, I, I wish to, to understand my wife. Can, can you help me to understand my wife? And the genie responds, Would you like the road one lane or two? <laughs> Side note. We are next month going into a relationship series. I'm very excited about it. A little plug here. I don't know if I can help you understand your wife, but we're going to try, okay? We're going to do a a, a relationship series. I'm very excited about it. If you're in a relationship, if you're not in a relationship, I promise you'll get something out of it. Uh, And I want to give this quick plug. We're going to conclude the series Uh, with a marriage conference, our first ever, February 24th and 25th. If you can uh, make note of that, put that in your calendar, February 24th and 25th, our first ever marriage conference. We're very excited about that. All right. But I want to help you to understand the Bible so you will grow to love the Bible. I loved my wife 14 years ago, but as I spend more and more time with her and I talk and I learn from her and she learns from me, we begin to understand each other a little bit better and and it furthers our love for each other and, and our love for each other grows. Today, I want to help you to understand the word so you can grow in the word and eventually come to love the word and to live it out. So if you're taking message notes, here's the title of the message. This is what I want to do today. I want to help answer a question that you might have had before. Here's the question, and here's the title. What is the Bible all about, Pastor Jared Lyons? What is the Bible all about? That's where we're going today. Would you pray with me as we jump into it? Lord, we thank you for this word. Would you speak to our hearts today? Help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 You know, before... You can get behind something, you got to believe in that thing first. You have to understand it. You have to know where it came from, why it's there, the purpose that it serves. You know, the best example that I can share with you on this is this. When Allie and I were dating, there were things that we had to learn about each other before we can kind of get into that relationship. When you're in a relationship, you're beginning a relationship, there are things that you did not care about before the relationship started, but now, because you're in a relationship, you now begin to care about something that you did not previously care about because you're in a relationship with someone who cares about that very thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, for instance, if you're not a cat person, and you marry (laughs) a cat person, you become a cat person, and we all judge you for it. If you're not a social person and you marry a social person, you now become a social person. Well, for us in our relationship, Allie never cared about sports, okay? That was not her life, much less cares about football. Now, she married a diehard Green Bay Packer fan. Now, if you don't know that about me, thank you, Chris. Chris is my boy, and he always always has my back, and we text each other, go to counseling together this year. It's been amazing. <laughs> Our friendship is growing. I understand we had a rough year, but that does not deter me. I want to tell you a little bit about it. Before, I mean, my wife probably never even heard of the Packers, could care less before she met me, but she met me, and I had to tell her a non-negotiable is that this family roots for the Green Bay Packers, okay? Like, it's a non-negotiable, And so before she could get behind and support the Packers, I had to help her understand why we root for the Packers. We're not bandwagon fans. It runs in the blood. So maybe for you, I'm born and raised in Dallas, and people always say, well, how'd you become a Packer fan? Well, that's what she was asking, and let me tell you why. My mom, who watches every week, was born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Still have a lot of family there. And uh, so I would tell my wife that, and if you don't know this, the Green Bay Packers are the only team in the NFL that are owned by the fans. How you own the team is through season tickets and stocks. Well, my mom's parents, my grandparents, had 12 season tickets in our family. That's at Lambeau Field. That is coveted, coveted seats. So they were part owners. Even more, they were at the first and second Super Bowl in Lambeau. They were in attendance when the Green Bay Packers won. It's a big deal in our family. Well, my cousin is a Green Bay police officer. He travels with the Packers. And over time, unfortunately, my grandparents had to sell off their tickets. That's a tough subject. But because it still runs in my family, I took advantage. As soon as they offered stock, I bought in. So you are looking at a part owner of the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) So I had to tell my wife all of this. You see, Allie, for her to support the Packers and root for the Packers, she had to understand why and where it comes from. And then she became a Packer fan as well. That's funny. My son will watch. I teach my kids this, too. And we'll watch, like, the Cowboys. And, and Judah will go, Daddy, we kind of like the Cowboys, too, don't we? I said, Son, we do not like the Cowboys. Get behind me, Satan i rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Every team is like, we kind of like them, don't we? I'm like, no, we don't like them. Okay, so my goal today is to help you understand the why. And once you understand the why behind the Bible, I promise you, you will become a fan of the Bible as well. And it will help you read and appreciate the Word of God. So so this is a message that you'll want to take notes in. Okay, I, I would like for you to take notes every week. It would help you. You can always go back on it. But I promise you, this is a, mo- a message that it's a lot of content, and you're going to want to take notes in this message. And here's where I'm going. It's three points with a lot of content. And again, it's to help you understand the Bible. So here's where I want to, this is my three points right here. First, I want to talk about the overview of the Bible. That's the first point, okay? An overview of the Bible. And then we're going to go uh, into the story of the Bible. We'll talk about what the story of the Bible is. And then we'll finish off with the, the why. What's the main point of the Bible? What is this all about? Okay, that's where we're going. Again, I'll, I'll at a foundation today to help you understand the Bible. Here we go. Here's the first thing, the overview of the Bible. I just want to hit some important things about the Bible that you may or may not know, but that you'll want to know. The first thing is this, what does Bible even mean? Bible means book, okay? Bible means book. This book is a book like no other book. This is the all-time most read book in history. This is the all-time most sold book in history. This is the most translated book in history. This is the most printed book in history. This is a book like no other book. Time itself runs off of this book. Think about that. The time that we follow, the calendar and A.D. and B.C., it runs off of this book. Next week, I want to bring a message to you on the defense of the Bible, something I'm very passionate about, one that will help you in conversations to help defend the Word of God. But today, I'm going to whet your appetite a little bit. So here's what the Bible is. The Bible, check this out, was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries on three separate continents in three separate languages for 40 different people. Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries, three continents, three languages by 40 different people. So this begs the question that one might have. I've heard this before. You may have wondered this yourself. But how in the world can you have the Bible with that type of resume written by 40 different people and yet still have no contradictions and it still tell the same story? How is that even possible? I mean, it would make sense if there was one author and he kind of kept up with it all. That would make sense. But 40 different writers, how is that even possible? You have, out of those 40, you have poets, prophets, princes, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, doctors, farmers, scholars, shepherds, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, and businessmen. They wrote in caves, ships, homes, palaces, prisons, and deserts. And yet, the question is, how did they come up with the same story again we're going to talk about this next week but i want to give you the answer today how did they come up with the same story here's what they did there were 40 writers but one author there were 40 writers but only one author his name is god this is his autobiography man held the pen but god spoke to them and told them what to write I'll prove it to you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is God breathed. We talked about this last week, but the words on this page, on these pages here, are not words of man, but the breath of God. And when God speaks, he creates. He cannot speak and not create. And these are his words of creation. God's words are spoken to fulfill That which he just spoke about. So as he speaks, he is creating. So when you read the Bible, you're reading God's words, his breath at work to fulfill that which you are reading about. It's the breath of God. But here's the cool part. This verse goes on. All scriptures God breathed. But it is useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Meaning this, this Bible, the principles in it, they work. They work. The principles of scripture are the best set of principles that you can find out there and they're the best set of principles that you can apply for your life. There are non-Christians, non-believers, who take biblical principles and apply them to their life because they work. So, we we know what it means, we know who wrote it, but now I want to just kind of give you a, a, a big overview of the Bible. Something you may or may not know is that the Bible, the one that you hold in your hand more than likely, the Bible is not written in chronological order. Now, there is a chronological Bible, maybe someone brought theirs today, but the Bible, the one that most of us are reading from, was not written in chronological order. The Bible that we read from is grouped by type of books. So there's different types of books in the Bible, and that's how the Bible was compiled and written, the one that you have in your hand. So let me show you what I mean. It starts out in the Old Testament. There's two books, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We'll start out in the Old Testament. When you first open up your book, some of you have uh, some, some, maybe some maps up in there too, a preface. okay? But when you first get to the first part of the book, you have the law. The Bible starts with the law, five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Now, the five books, the law is actually called the Pentateuch, meaning five This was the law given to Moses by God, and and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the law. Moses wrote it. This is some events like the creation and the fall of man, the flood, Joseph, the Ten Commandments, all the way up to when the people of Israel entered into the Promised Land. That is the law. That's some heavy, heavy reading right there. Then we enter into historical books. This is 12 books. Joshua through Esther. This is Israel's story and Israel's history after Moses, after they enter into the promised land. This is where we get Joshua when he fights the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Come on, Baptist, where you at? There's a song. Okay, here we go. Then it goes all the way through Esther, which historically would be the end of the New Testament in chronological order. We have Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, is when the Jews were brought into the exile, into Babylon. So if you read it in chronological order, it would end there. But we know that's not the end of the Old Testament. It goes on. Next, we have the poetical part. We have five books in the poetical section. We have Job, not Job, Job through Song of Solomon. And here you have some of the readings of Psalms. You have Proverbs. You have Ecclesiastes. These are the poetical books here that many of you probably have read. Then we enter into the prophetical. So you have the poetical and then the prophetical. Prophetical, 17 books here. This is Isaiah through the end, Malachi. And this is the prophetical section, and it's, it's broken down into two groups. You have the The major prophets and the minor prophets. We have five major prophets, that's Isaiah through Daniel, and you have 12 minor prophets, that's Hosea through Malachi. Minor, not meaning they're less important, but instead they're smaller books. So you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. This is how the Old Testament is grouped together. I hope that helps you. Then we have 400 years of silence. This is what takes place between the two books, Old and the New Testament. In that time, we have the Greek conquest. We have the Roman conquest, which is how the New Testament begins. Jesus being born into Roman government and Roman rule. We kick off the New Testament with the Gospels. Here's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. The Gospel means good news. This is the the books of good news. This is four different accounts of the exact same story in the exact same setting and time frame. Each bring a different perspective because each person brings different accounts of the same story of Jesus. This is the birth of Jesus, the life and the ministry of Jesus. And it ends with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus. Then the next book is the book of Acts. This is one book. This is the historical record of the first church or the early church known as the way. This is when the Holy Spirit fell on the the disciples at Pentecost and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning of the church, and I'm thankful for this book because every church should model themselves after the early church. Then we enter into the, the epistles. This is 21 books. This is Romans through Jude. You see, once the church was established, the church began to spread, and the disciples went out to different places and preached the Gospels. The epistles show what happened as the gospel and the church began to spread. Epistles are a fancy word for letters. Letters to the churches. Letters to pastors. These are important because they reign true for us in our life today. They apply to us today. They give us instruction and doctrine to live our lives out today. And then the Bible ends with one final book. This is the book of Revelation. This is one book. It's a prophecy of the last days and eternity. You see, John, one of the disciples, was, was, uh, God revealed to him um, a revelation while John was in exile, and God told John how it all was gonna end, how this world was gonna end. This book has not happened yet, but will happen one day. That's an overview of the Bible. I hope that helps you. But now I wanna take a look at the story of the Bible. Here's the second thing I wanna go through the story of the Bible. Today, I want to do something unique. And again, I hope this helps you get a better understanding. I want to show you the story of the Bible in mirror form, to show you how creative God is. And I want to tell you the story of the Bible. Here's how the Bible starts out right here. God and righteous man in paradise. The Bible kicks off. Story, the creation of man in the Garden of Eden. We start out the story of God by himself, in the beginning, it was God, the Trinity, three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there in the beginning. And they created man in the Garden of Eden, and it was perfect. It was good. Think about that. In paradise, there was no shame, no guilt, no sickness, no sin. Everything was perfect. Even the land was perfect. No, Think about it. No storms, no rain. God created an underground fountain system to feed the earth. It was perfect. There was no toil. Everything was perfect. This was the way that God intended for us to live in, in the garden, created righteously in paradise. That's what God always wanted for us. He doesn't want sin. He doesn't want storms. He doesn't want sickness. Man messed that up genesis 3 happens man fell but it's because satan and sin enter in sin is what broke the intimacy this intimate relationship that man shared with god sin broke that people ask what does sin do here's the best way i can explain it sin separates sin separates a perfect God, a holy God cannot have a relationship with sinful man. He was still holy and we became unholy. And because of that, we were separated from God. A gap was created. A chasm was created between man and God. Distance was created. And for some of you, you feel that today. You feel distant from God. That's what sin does. Sin creates separation from God. Anytime sin is present, chaos ensues. This is the fruit of sin. This is the result of sin. Chaos enters in. Your life begins to fall apart. You feel like you're losing control. You feel like you're living in chaos. That is the result of sin. So it got chaotic. God created this perfect paradise, created us righteous. Sin enters in. So, God had to do something about it. The world was judged and then destroyed. God took matters into his own hands. Here we get the story of Noah in the flood. God looked at his creation and found one man who was righteous. And he said, I'm going to start this whole thing over with you and your family, Noah. Well, wouldn't you know it? They fell again. Sin was still present. They took steps further away from God. And as a society, they came together. And they decided to build a tower to reach God. We know this as the Tower of Babel. They figured if they can't forgive their own sins, they're going to go up to God and take the place of God and do it themselves. What they did was they created a one world government system. They had the same language, the same goals. We can't get close to God, so let's go up there and overtake him. Well, obviously, that didn't work either. God came up Babel. He came up and he confused their languages. This is where we get new languages and new races. God confused it. And God took matters into his own hands. He confused what they were up to, the Tower of Babel, and he created his own order, a new way of doing things. You see, God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And because the sin was present and they were living in chaos. He said, I am coming to create order. So God introduced the 12 tribes of Israel, a holy people. He found 12 tribes that were chosen, that were set apart, that were different than everyone else. He did this in hopes of creating some order with a group of people that would spread out into all the world. And this is what the rest of the Old Testament is all about. God's order, his system, we know it now as the law, the law. But as we know, that didn't work either. The law did not work. We had the law, but the problem was it was all external. It's stuff that we have to do. It was all outward. It was not inward. It was not internal. The people did not want to obey God's law. They tried. They couldn't do it. They became discouraged and they wanted to do it their own way. But here's what's crazy about God. God allowed us to have the law and He knew we wouldn't obey it. This was all a part of God's plan. He knew exactly what He was doing. I believe when man fell in the garden, God already put a plan in motion to redeem man. He he knew exactly what it would take to redeem man. But first, He allowed us to experience the law. He allowed us to experience the law and in doing so, Man realized that we could not fulfill the law on our own. We needed help. May I introduce to you God's plan and centerpiece for the Bible story, Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of this story. He's at the top of this story. It's all about Jesus Jesus was God's solution to man's sin problem. God wanted a relationship with man. It's how he created us here in the garden. But when sin came in, it separated us from God. And he introduced Jesus to be the bridge builder. He is the bridge between God and man. He's the way that we can have a relationship back to God. Jesus came to give us life and salvation, but that's not all that he did. He not only came to fulfill the law, he came that the law would be written on our hearts. So here is his plan and here's what he did. It's a mirror image, the Bible story in mirror image. We have now, instead of the 12 tribes of Israel, we have the 12 disciples. We're now in the New Testament. This is God's holy people, the 12 disciples. He did it differently this time. Instead of using tribes, he used people. And instead of telling them the law, he wrote the law on their hearts through Jesus. Hebrews 8 talks about this new covenant. You can look it up this week. This is where we are living at in history right now. If you want to know where we fall in line in the Bible story in a timeline, we are right here. Many people reject God today. The world is going their own way. They don't like The law of God. They don't like the principles of scripture. So man has created their own way. Here's what we are doing as a society and as a people group. We're going backwards. So now the Bible story tells us this and we're seeing it lived out. This is what's going to happen next. We are going to go to a one world government system. Turn on the news. You'll see that there have been many attempts and many efforts and many plans to take us to a one world government a one-world currency, a one-world system. Now, we know biblically this will happen. We see it in Revelation, but check this out. The Antichrist is the broker of this new world order. It will happen one day. And what, I want to do a series on the end times. I think you guys would benefit from that. But, but many people argue we are in the final days. Many people who have devoted their lives to biblical end-time prophecy by looking at the scriptures... They say that we are in the final days according to the prophecies and revelation in, in Daniel. This could possibly play out in our generation, the end of days. We don't know. The Bible says we won't know. But you do see signs of it today. Did you know that in 1998, the first person was microchipped? 1998. The technology obviously has grown quite a bit. Over the last decade, and one article I read, said now 200 people have been microchipped. Now, obviously, the benefit of this, of what the government would say, is that you can now buy and sell through this microchip. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other things that will take place. That's not this sermon. But what they will tell us is this is how you will buy and how you will sell. I don't know. Could it be that this chip, that's being introduced, is a sign of the final days. Could it be, the Bible talks about the mark of the beast, could it be that this chip is the mark of the beast? I don't know, but what I do know is the Bible says in the final days, only those with the mark of the beast will be able to buy and sell goods. Meaning if you don't have this mark, maybe this chip, you will not be able to buy and sell. You won't be able to provide for your family. Now, I also know there's been talks about a one-world currency. I think we hear about that quite a bit, actually. Now, this one-world government will take place at some point in time. We're heading that way. That's because we're taking matters into our own hands. We don't want to do it God's way. And the Bible's telling us this is what's going to happen. We know it's coming. So God has a plan for this. What's going to happen is the world will be destroyed and the world will be judged this is what the Bible tells us. Once we go to this one world currency and we can do it without God, God's going to show back up. He's going to judge the world and he's going to destroy it. But this time, right here, he destroyed the world with water. Right here, he's going ju- to destroy the world with fire. Here we have Noah, one, one righteous man in his family. God rebuilt the world with him. He's going to destroy the world. He's going to rebuild it, not with one family, but with the bride of Christ, those who have the name of Jesus written on their hearts. So he is going to destroy it, but he's also going to rebuild it with the church. And he's going to make a move to end sin once and for all. And here's what's going to happen. Satan and sin will exit. There will be no more evil. There will be no more sin and will be no more Satan. Church, God wins. This is the story of the Bible. This is how it ends. God wins and Satan loses. This is good news for us today because many of you probably at some point in your life feel like Satan has a hold on you. And when he has a hold on you, you need to remind him and yourself that he loses in the end and God wins. God will defeat Satan in the final days and sin and Satan will exit. And here's the fun part, the final part of God's story, the Bible we read. God and redeemed man will live in paradise together. You see, here we have God and righteous man. We were created righteous, but now we've been through Jesus, we've been redeemed. So those who have the name of Jesus on their hearts, they have been redeemed, and they get to share in paradise, all eternity in heaven. You know what the word... Paradise means in the original language. Get this? This is kind of fun. Resort. <laughs> yeah, y'all who have been able to afford that resort membership, it's coming. It's coming. You know, there are some bad ideas out there about heaven. People call it the afterlife, as if to say the greatest moment in your entire existence in all eternity are these days. The Bible calls these days but a mist, a vapor. Truthfully, we're not going to be headed to the afterlife. I believe today we are in the before life. (laughs) We're headed, we're headed not to the afterlife, we're headed to life. This is what we live for. We don't live for the temporary pleasures of this life. We live for the the, the pleasures of all eternity, which will be for the rest of eternity here. We we do not live for this, this mist, this vapor, these temporary pleasures. We live for eternity. That's life. That's the story of the Bible. Okay, so we had an overview. We had the story. Now I want to close with this. What's the main point of the Bible? That's a lot of content, Jared. That's a lot of preaching. What's what's the main point of the Bible? Here's here's the point of the Bible. The title of this message is, What is this Bible all about? One person said, We are the point of the Bible. Man. Mankind's. We are the subject of the Bible, and I say no, not even close. I do believe we are the object, but we're not the subject. So so we are the object of the Bible. The object of the Bible is us. But if, if we're not the subject, we're the object. Well, who's the subject? The subject of the Bible is Jesus. He is front and center. He's in the middle. He's at the top. To him be all honor and glory forever and ever. The Bible is a story about Jesus. You may think, well, how is that even possible considering he only shows up in the middle? Well, that's wrong as well. Jesus was there in the beginning. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were there in Genesis in the very beginning of time. Jesus was the fourth man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe Jesus was the one who wrestled Jacob. Jesus shows up in the Psalms. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament and obviously in the New Testament. John 5.39 says this, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures are not that. The scriptures point to me. The Bible's all about Jesus and the scriptures point to that. So what does that mean? Here's my encouragement for you. When you read your Bible, find Jesus. When you read your Bible, find Jesus. He is in there. It's a story about him. Okay, so if we're the object... Jesus is a subject. I want to hit one more thing. What's the verb? If there's a verb of the Bible, what's the verb of the Bible? What's this all about? You can think about it for a second. Many of you, we're coming about Valentine's Day. You may think it's love. The verb of the Bible is love, and I don't think it is. I think love is the motivation for the verb of the Bible, but it's not the verb of the Bible. The verb... Of the Bible is this, John 3 16, one of the most famous verses. For God so loved, there it is, the world, that's the motivation, that he, say it with me, gave. There it is. He gave his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, God didn't just have love, he gave love. God expressed his love in his giving. That's how we're to give, too. We express our love and our giving. See, God, he's the subject. We're the object. The verb of the Bible is give. So if give is the verb of the Bible, then as Christians, giving is not only what we receive and we do in Jesus, but we're also called to do the same and give ourselves. Think about this. You are never more like Jesus than when you give. If Jesus gave, then we give as well. If you received love from Jesus, then you give love to others. If you received life from Jesus, then you give life to others. So here's the lens that we must see and read the Bible through. Here's the point, is that he gave, so we must give in return. See, God loved you so much that he didn't want to do life without you. He lost that perfect relationship in the garden. But that's what he always wanted. So he came up with a plan to win you back. The Bible says that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And God said, I'm going to send my one and only son, Jesus, to be that blood shed for man. God gave the most expensive gift that he could possibly give, his son, Jesus. So those who receive the gift of Jesus, their only reasonable response should be to give their life in return because they've received a gift. We give our lives to him because he gave his life for us. I'll close with these two verses. Watch this. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So we know what his part is. What's your part? I love this. That's John 3.16. I love the Bible. 1 John 3.16 says this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave, there it is again, up his life for us. So here's our part. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Isn't that beautiful? This is what the Bible's all about. He gave, and because he gave, we get to give in response to that. Would you pray with me? This is what the Bible's all about. I want to give you a moment and ask the Holy Spirit what He's saying to you through this word today. I know that I can speak a bunch of words to you this morning, but one word from God can change everything. And I'm just wondering, what is God saying to you through this message today? Would you just take a moment and ask Him, God? Would you speak to me? What do you want to say to me through this message? we thank you for your word. May we not take it for granted. And you gave us a gift to learn from, to guide us in life. There's a purpose in it. It's all about Jesus. It involves us. We're still living it out. The Bible's yet, it is written, but it's, it's yet to be lived out. We get to be a part of it. We're a part of this story, but it's a story about you. God, thank you for this gift. And we'll close like I always do. Just want to close with a chance for those who have never been redeemed. Maybe you feel that separation. You feel that distance between you and God. And you kind of wonder at times, how can I even reach God? And the beautiful part of the gospel is you don't. He reaches you. He laid down his son Jesus to be in relationship with you to be the bridge to gap the separation between you and him. And now, through relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God is restored. So if that's you today, if you want to begin a relationship with God to be redeemed, you got to receive His son, Jesus. And it begins with a prayer, but it really is a, a life decision that you change your life and respond to what he's done for you. But if that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm begin this journey for you right where you're at. Just pray this prayer. Pray it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life because you gave your life for me. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live my life for you. Thank you for going to the cross for me and redeeming me. Today I receive you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Quick clap and celebrate those who prayed the prayer? And yeah.